So I welcome you to Heartache City Church, any of you who just arrived, any of you online tuning in. I'm Joel, and it's my privilege to serve you. Today we're starting a new sermon series called Light, Love, and Life. We're going to be going through John's first epistle, his first letter. So why first John, Joel? Well, in the first place, because you and I need a balanced diet. We finished Luke's Gospel in the New Testament earlier this year, and then recently we went through the Old Testament book of Esther. So after much prayer and discussion with our leadership team, it was impressed on us, we needed to look at a New Testament letter to move back to the New Testament, and we decided on 1 John. Now John, this is the Apostle John, he's writing to churches near the area Ephesus, planted by actually the Apostle Paul about 25 years earlier. These are Christians who have been going to church and hearing the gospel for years. But they're now growing stagnant. They're worn down by false teachers who came, caused a bunch of church schism, and then they left. They're worn down by cultural pressures. The reality is they now lack a personal interactive, dynamic, and growing relationship with God. They've been in church a long time. First John was written, and this is the purpose of First John, to first hold fast to the truth that God became man in Jesus. Second, to encourage a lifestyle of holiness and love before a watching world. And then third, to know that you have assurance of salvation, eternal life, through a deepening relationship with God. Henry Blackaby says, well, there's a world of difference between knowing something to be true in your head and experiencing that reality in your life. First John was written to strengthen already believers, to encourage their growth, to test and examine themselves, to see whether they're growing and understanding the gospel. Now, don't let that discourage you if you're a not-yet-Christian asking questions right now. Blackaby also says, people don't ask questions about spiritual matters unless God is at work in their lives. When you see someone seeking God or asking questions about Christianity, you are witnessing God at work. Be encouraged, my not-yet-Christian friend. God is up to something incredible. John wants us to know God intimately and then live to love and be light. Live to love and be light to a dark and dying world. This is the message of 1 John. This is our mission, should we choose to accept it. Do you believe that you can truly know God intimately through his word and join the ranks of world changers? Maybe not. Maybe the inner skeptic just rose in the living room of one of your houses here. So don't listen to me. Listen to someone a lot smarter than me who is not even a Christian, but saw the potential of God's word if Christians took it seriously. Mahatma Gandhi once said to a group of missionaries, he said this, You Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all civilization to pieces. Turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet. But you treat it 
as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. Let's prove Gandhi right about the Bible, but wrong about us. And if we want to do that, let's first ask God for the grace to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word. Word that you have declared to be life-giving and transforming when it's received with faith, hope, and love through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Christ. And we confess right now that we are prone to boredom, to distraction, to doubt your power to bring change in our lives. We even doubt your love at times or that you would choose to do mattering things through us. So right now we plead, Heavenly Father, that you'll take away every obstacle to your grace. Our time is short. Our need is great. Make this moment we have meaningful and even monumental to the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from 1 John verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I'm now going to read the first part of John's Gospel, and I want us to notice a similar language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Heaven help the child who never had a home. Heaven help the girl who walks the streets alone. Heaven help the roses. If the bombs begin to fall, heaven help us all. Some of you may recognize that as uh, the poet Stevie Wonder, who kicked off the 1970s with this heart cry, a plea that was erupting out of a context where there was war, poverty, political scandal, shootings, racism. Oh, and the abortion debate was raging. Here we are 53 years later. Why is there no progress? Why is it still so bad, maybe even worse? I think Dallas Willard provides us with a helpful illustration. He tells the story of a jet fighter pilot who is practicing high-speed maneuvers, and she turned the controls to make a steep climb, and she crashed into the earth. She had no idea that she had been flying upside down. Willard's point is that is our situation. We're moving along at great speed, right? 
making decisions based upon what we believe reality to be, or worse, how we feel at a given moment, and what happens? We're constantly crashing, sometimes into each other, right? All over the world, billions of people moving at high speed, upside down, unaware of their situation. Which means actually a blind Stevie Wonder was seeing pretty well. We need help that comes from outside of this world, outside of us. And that's why First John is such wonderful news for us. John is saying, heaven came to help us in Jesus Christ. Sadly, John is writing this because Christians in his day weren't living into that reality. Now, John is writing this because the incarnation, this basic Bible truth was under attack. Paul actually had warned about this in Acts 20. You read he's talking to the Ephesians. 25 years later, what Paul predicted has come true. Wolves had come in, argued with basic Bible truth. Then they left, left the church, denying the incarnation. So why would these antichrists, as John describes them, why would they spread this lie? Why would they reject the truth that Jesus, that God, became man? Here it is. Are you listening? If God became man, it means man cannot become God. If God became man to save us, it means we cannot become God and save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. It comes down to pride. Man wanting to create his own reality while living in the universe that God made. We live in a day of relativism. Some of you know what that term means. It's actually no different in John's day. There's lots of religious beliefs, all kinds of philosophies out there, and everyone's saying, believe whatever you want. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Relativism informs us that each person can decide their own truth. They can determine their own reality. So Bob believes this, and Sally believes this, and we celebrate everyone as they're finding their own way, their own path to heaven. You can believe whatever you want so long as you're really, really sincere about it. To quote George Michael, you got to have faith, 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 and whatever floats your boat, okay? And we don't argue with anyone else in their belief. Now that sounds really humble, right? Don't be judging me and my beliefs. Isn't that what we hear? Actually, it's arrogant. If you think it through, if you actually deny absolute truth, we can't take anybody's belief seriously. And it's also delusional because we don't decide reality. We only decide the direction that we're going to turn in that reality. We only decide the path that we're going to take. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible opens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is an uncreated, almighty, immaterial being, God, who alone existed before time and space. And Genesis goes on to tell us that God created this world with three tiers. With him, God at the top, us, uniquely made in his image, on the second level, in the middle, and then below that, all created things. Three tiers, God, us, and then the created order. This was the perfect order to be maintained. 
our thoughts fixed upon God, and all the more as we delight in the things that he's given us to enjoy. But the first humans, Adam and Eve, what they did is they flipped us upside down in Genesis 3. They grasped for the created thing. The serpent tempted Eve. What did he say? You will be like God. And Eve trusted her own desires, trusted her heart, instead of trusting God's word. Adam and Eve denied God, trusted self, and what did they do? They turned the world upside down for us. They turned us upside down by putting the created things above God. We became disoriented because at that moment, you and I lost fellowship with God, and we came under the reign of death. Wonderfully, John opens his letter by saying, Christians, remember, heaven has helped us. Notice how in verse 1, as well as in verse 1 of his gospel, John actually starts like Genesis. Because John wants us to see that a new beginning has come when the word became flesh. Let's read it again, the first two verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. Our first point this morning is the arrival of the eternal, the arrival of eternal life. Heaven helps us. John says, guys, what he's writing here, I was one of the many witnesses to Jesus' glory. We heard him. We saw him in the flesh, the one who made all things in the beginning. We were with him. John is bearing specific witness to Jesus' preaching to his words that they said came with authority. Everybody noticed this. And by the way, if you actually read what Jesus said, it is clear that Jesus is claiming to be Almighty God. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Jesus did not give us the option of simply calling him a good teacher, someone who could teach us morals. What Jesus claimed about himself leaves us with only three options. Jesus is either a liar, as bad as one of the demons in hell, or a lunatic on the order of someone who claims to be a poached egg. Or he is what he said, Lord of all creation. And he actually verified that by becoming the new creation with his resurrection from the dead. And I believe that's what John is getting at when he says, and we looked upon and touched him with our hands. And I don't like looked upon. I don't think that's a good translation of the Greek here. The Greek here means to to behold, to discern, to understand what it is that we're looking at and that we even touched him. Remember, John laid his head in the bosom of Jesus. Remember doubting Thomas? He wouldn't believe, he said, until I put my hands in the nail holes. The word of life was made manifest. And notice John keeps reiterating life here. Three times you see that the eternal life which was with the Father but arrived on planet Earth in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold the thought on eternal life because some of us may be confused with how John talks. I'll address that briefly. First, this language John uses, I just think John, he's been living in a different atmosphere than us. 
John is a very old man at this point in his life, and he has now spent decades in the fellowship of the Father and the Son. John has experienced ultimate reality and the life that was the light of men. See verse 4 there in John's Gospel. John speaks of the Word, Jesus. He was in the beginning. And this is an amazing thing. But notice there's actually a difference. This is another kind of confusing thing between the gospel where he uses the pronoun he, and in this he says that. He doesn't say who was from the beginning in this letter. Isn't that strange? Why does John say that which was from the beginning? Because John is talking theology, talking right beliefs. John is talking doctrine. Yes, John is talking about Jesus. But John is stressing the truth of the incarnation, of the reality of the one who had no beginning entering into our time-space history. This requires us to think. Jesus being one person with two natures, both God and man. And John, at the end of his life, is saying, we need to ponder that truth and what it means for us so that we can live into that reality. See, one of the reasons that the letters at the end of the Bible are so important is they give us theology. Inspired writers actually pull together all of the Old Testament history, all the New Testament, all of the Bible. They pull it together to show now who God is and what he has done, particularly in the coming of Jesus Christ. Theology reveals what we are to believe about God and then our duty, how we are to respond in accordance with what we've learned. John's gospel and his letter, they sound very similar, but John's purpose in his gospel is that the Christ everyone's been waiting for in the Old Testament is Jesus, the prophesied Messiah. The first purpose in 1 John, or John's purpose in 1 John, is that not Christ is Jesus, but Jesus is the Christ. And what does that mean? Now we'll touch on what that means. The eternal life. What does it mean that eternal life has come? Because John starts his letter talking about that. And by the way, he ends his letter talking about that. In 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Eternal life is everything. And we need to think about what that means for us. One of John's main purposes is that you and I may know we have eternal life by believing in Jesus. Eternal life means that we have been transferred out of the Yolo tribe of today. You only live once tribe, right? We don't have to sit here and eat, drink, and be merry, live for the journey. No. We actually don't have to worry about death. It changes us to know that we have eternal life. Dio Moody once said, right towards the end of his life, he said, One day, soon, you will hear that I am dead. Do not believe it. I will then be alive as never before. Right before his execution, Diedrich Bonhoeffer pulled his friend to him and said, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Eternal life means life forever. When life ends here, it's just beginning for us, the ultimate reality. That's what we just sang. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We have no less days to sing his praise than when we've first begun.
And that praise, recognizing who God is, that actually gets at something bigger. That John wants us to see that the arrival of eternal life into our world means far more. So I want us to recite our verse of the month. I want us to really take this in. This actually comes from Jesus' prayer last week. You'll find it at the bottom of our page. Let us go ahead and say together our September verse. Let us say, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you see eternal life is a now thing? Because it's about knowing God, knowing the Father, knowing the Son. It is a now thing that turns us right side up when we come to know God. And that's really the next point that John is making when he says that he's crazy over koinonia. Crazy over koinonia. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The Greek word for fellowship here, which John uses twice and he uses later on, is koinonia. And John is bonkers about it. Can you see? He's like, we're proclaiming it to you so that you can be with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with the Son. So what is this koinonia, this fellowship that John is just crazy about? Well, in the first place, it's about being turned right side up. Where Adam and Eve brought death into the world, Jesus brought eternal life. Where Adam and Eve lost fellowship with God, Jesus becoming man brings koinonia, relationship. We can know God again and have relationship with him and with each other. That's his point. By the way, Adam and Eve, they start crashing into each other right away, right? Jesus is rejoicing, or John is rejoicing, that the distance between us and God has been transformed into an all-permeating friendship. That means that as you hear me proclaim to you the eternal life in Jesus Christ, Right now, you guys are being brought into koinonia with each other, into fellowship, an unbreakable spiritual bond that we all share the same spirit. As an aside, I will say, while many say that doctrines divide, do you realize what John has just taught us? Is anyone here surprised that John says the thing that's going to bring us together in the first two verses is theology? Theology brings us together. I find fellowship with people I just met today. I find fellowship with Mike and with Jesse and with Gloria because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That is why we have fellowship. Jesus became all we are by nature that we might become all he is by grace alone and have the same fellowship with each other that he has with his Father in heaven. The word of life came to turn us up right side up so that we can have a new way of living. John is just crazy about this koinonia. Us united to one another is the second greatest fellowship to only the fellowship we have with God Almighty. We're called to be open-handed and open-hearted like we talked about last week. We're called also to be real with one another about sin, to help each other in our struggles, to be transparent. That's actually what we heard in our call to confess from 1 John 5-10. through 10. Where we are to walk in the light. That means we're to walk in holiness as he is in light and have fellowship with one another. John invites us into a more personal 
an interactive relationship with Holy Jesus and with each other. To live lives that bear the quality of eternity right now. The eternal life that we've been given. To find liberty to love as we see both our future and our present are secure. We can actually trust there is no evil that we have to perform here on earth to thrive during our days under the sun. That is the good news of eternal life and having it. But we can only do this as we grow in our relationship with God, as we come to know him intimately. And the entire Bible tradition, from start to end, it's either people who are intimately involved with God or they're entirely alienated from him. Read every Bible story and that's what you find. You find those who are alive to God or those who are dead to him. The question for you, my friends, is do you want to grow in your faith, in your relationship with God, to know him more personally and dynamically? Well, here's what we have to do, because eternal life starts with believing God and learning to listen, learning to listen. We open our ears and we believe, trusting God is infinitely more concerned with your life and your relationship with him than you or I could possibly be. That's Henry Blackaby. We believe that God wants us to have fellowship with him and then we obey what he says. Think about how the Bible story starts off. Genesis 12, Abraham, total pagan, far from God as you can be. And God says, Abraham, go to the land of promise. And Abraham believed and he hit the road, left his father's house, trusting that God would be actively involved with him going forward. Abraham didn't have the Bible, by the way. He couldn't look at God's promises because they weren't written. But he took the word he had and he obeyed. And what became true of him? James 2.23, he became a friend of God. That's how we become intimate with God. We believe, trusting him. We hear what he tells us and then we obey it. Do you want to be a friend of God like Abraham? Do you want to know him more intimately? Well, we have a big advantage. We actually have Bibles, like, unlike Abraham. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back for you. We'll give you one free. So read a chapter. Read a section. Take just one verse, if that's all you can do, and just roll it around in your hand all day long. Take that word and believe it 100%. And look for what God is calling you to do. Pray. Wait quietly. And listen. If you spend enough time listening and in the word, you will hear God's still small voice. And then adjust your behaviors and your beliefs to whatever God tells you to do. Give it time and you will discover your life in him. You'll come to know that eternal life and be living it out already. And you can experience him doing through you what only he could do through you. Another way to identify is his constant care is for you every day to give him thanks. Take your bulletin home with you and use that line from the hymn we sang when you go outside and look at the world your bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air. Notice God is near. He's noticing that. It shines in the light. It streams from the hills. It descends through the plains and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. We can begin to notice how near God is if we're looking for him, where he's actively involved. Friends, John wants us to know fellowship with God through Jesus to have him present in our daily thoughts, to see that this is our Father's world. And because it is, 
The universe is safe for us to live now because we're flying right side up. The universe could not be any safer when you're rightly related to God. And as we begin to do that fly right side up, we can really impact our world and leave it a better place. Do you want to do mattering things? Do you want to leave this world a better place when you go? Well, we need to take hold of that eternal life. Our last point is fullness of joy. John writes, And we are writing these things so that our joy, because it could be your joy, may be complete. John says the reason he is telling us this is so that our joy will be complete. And I see the old apostle remembering that upper room discourse where Jesus talked about joy, joy and peace that he was going to give, joy unlike this world. Everyone's looking for joy, happiness, right? But you can't find it in this world. Leo Tolstoy, he got it all. He made it. As soon as he had everything and he became a famous writer, he became miserable. How many people have won everything they got and want in the world and they're absolutely miserable? They can't find happiness. Sheryl Crow understands this. If it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? Anybody here want to be joyful? <laughs> so happy that you're overflowing? before a watching world. What is the secret then, John, to this fullness of joy? Well, Calvin notes that John actually lays out a divine order here. It begins with the proclamation, the sharing how Jesus came in our flesh to bring eternal life. Next comes the fellowship as people are brought into the ultimate reality. And then this fellowship of all God's people with the Father and the Son creates a fullness of joy. You see, John understands at this point in his life, and he's been doing this for a while, that he's been delivered in order to deliver. He's been healed in order to help others. It's for everyone to experience together this joy, this eternal life. John sees he's privileged to participate in the greatest rescue mission in human history. And his joy increases every time he proclaims it and someone else shares in the fellowship the eternal life that Jesus brought. Think of it this way. My family has a history of cancer. I may well get it one day. Some of you here may have battled it. I bet everyone here knows someone who's had cancer. I strongly suspect we all know someone who died from this awful disease. Imagine I did have cancer down the road and I happen to be the one who found the cure for it. You think I would be filled with joy? But would I want that joy to land on me and go no farther? No way. <laughs> I would be sharing that cure with everybody I knew and everyone I could. And what would happen every time somebody got that cure for me for cancer? My joy would become even more full. Every time someone else experienced that cure that I experienced, we'd have growing joy each and every time someone else was brought into a better reality a cancer-free existence. That is something of what John's getting at here. He has found, though, something far better, the cure for the human condition of flying upside down unrelated to God. All of us are born into the world of the dying, upside down, estranged from God. And John was ushered into the ultimate reality of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And John wants to proclaim this to as many people as he can so that his joy will become more full. 
And I hope you see that this is why our faith cannot be a personal, private thing. A lot of people, that's what relativism teaches, right? This is my, no, not for the Christian. If you have no desire for others to come to know Jesus and Father God, if you're not sharing with others or at least praying for those who are lost, friend, I'm sorry to say you have misunderstood the gospel. It's the best news ever. If you don't want others who are set to crash any minute when they move their instruments, if you don't understand what they're going to endure and don't want them to know, that is evidence that you truly don't know God in his heart. Now, if that's you and you're concerned right now, the good news is God is still speaking to you. And he's not calling you to go get busy, go sharing the news, all right? Don't go on the corner and just start proclaiming the gospel. What God is calling you to do is to believe how important you are to him. And he wants to start drawing you into a relationship with himself that is real. He wants you to know the eternal life that left heaven to come down to help us. So we're going to pray and ask God to grant us that life from above for the first time or to help us better appropriate that reality that we already belong to afresh and anew. And let's believe that God can do as he pleases through anyone who simply seeks to be more devoted to him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we proclaim that you're the one who has no beginning and no end. And we want to thank you, though, for loving us from the beginning of our history and for coming into our world through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for continuing to love and to care for us even in the now. We do confess that we are sinners and without hope save in your sovereign mercy. We thank you for sending your son Jesus who took on our flesh in order to pay the debt that we owed you at the cross and to open the way to new life through his resurrection. We confess that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life and no one can come to you apart from him. So we come to you confessing he is Lord and he's our Lord. And we ask for your spirit to empower us that we might serve him faithfully for all our days. And we thank you for setting us free from sin, self, and Satan, that we might glorify and enjoy you forever. And we ask that you'll help us to never, ever again make light of this great redemption that came at the cost of the blood of your only begotten beloved son. Rather, may we seek to share this Savior, because he's not our Savior alone, but the Savior of the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.